Welcome to Horse Time, a podcast hosted by Carla Lanfear and Emily Anderson, two healers and horse lovers who strayed from the path of traditional dominance-based horsemanship to explore the question, what does it mean to be in true partnership with our horses? A relationship founded in freedom, connection, and love. Each episode, we share about our horse journeys, the struggles, self-doubt, and the conditioning we've had to face in order to blaze a new trail, and the magic that we discovered on the other side when we finally stepped out of our comfort zones and into the healing space of horse time. Welcome back, everyone, to episode five of the Horse Time podcast. And thank you, as always, for joining us for these conversations. Carla and I are always so excited to share them and share about our journeys with our horses and with this philosophy. And it's really beautiful to have a community that we're building around this. So today we want to explore this idea of horses as mirrors and what that actually means and share about our personal experiences with our horses and how they've certainly shown up as powerful mirrors in our lives and navigating the nuance of what that journey is all about and not getting lost in the mirror. (laughs) Yes. Where do we want to start on that? Well, maybe let's start by clarifying what that saying horse is mirror or horses teacher means for us because we use that sentence a lot especially in the self-development world and equine assisted coaching and therapy but even in you know the traditional horse world I think there is a common understanding that horses are really intuitive and that they are going to respond to who we are Mm -hmm. and so I've definitely heard that throughout my life being around horses but I don't know if we're super clear in what that actually means and where that can take us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so maybe let's start with that, <laughs> defining it. I mean, I think if we zoom out, any relationship is holding up a mirror. Any experience we have really in life <laughs> is going to be pointing us back to something within yeah. ourselves. I think the reason particularly that horses are such powerful mirrors is because they are so present, as we've been talking about on this podcast, to the moment and they live in the moment and they live in their bodies and the way that they're experiencing relationship with us is energetic. And so they're so attuned to the moment, to whoever comes into their environment, right. To Mm -hmm. each other within the herd. And so there's a real ability that horses have to feel into what's under the surface of who we are. Yeah. When there's studies like the Heart Math Institute, for example, where they talk about how horses can feel our heart rhythm, you know, Mm -hmm. when we step into their field and they can sense our breathing patterns. And then there's this idea of congruence, which we've mentioned before, where it's is what's emotionally going on on the inside, a match to the outside, right? And they're seeing if there's tension in our body. They're reading our body language. Yeah. Very (laughs) deftly. So they are in this way able to offer very clear feedback as to what's actually going on for us energetically and emotionally. Yeah. And I think the big part about that 
and where that feedback becomes relevant for us is because it's relational feedback. So the horse wants to know, like we talked about last week, can I trust you? Do you know who you are? Are you in touch with yourself? Are you aware of yourself, of your environment, of our relationship and our dynamic? It lets us know where we stand in relationship to ourselves and to others and maybe the world in general. How are we showing up? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was that was a <laughs> quick dictionary <laughs> clarification here. So that's why they're mirrors. <laughs> yes. But I think something Carla and I wanted to touch on is seeing them as more than just a mirror for our personal self-development process. Because I think that we have both experienced that that happens, especially in the world of equine therapy, um, mm-hmm. where horses are being used in this therapeutic context is that it can become all about the person who the mirror is being held up to in their story and totally miss what is true for the horse as a unique individual. Yeah. I have a story to share about that from my experience. I worked in equine assisted coaching and therapy for two or three years. And I think what it comes down to for me, again, is the difference between seeing the horse as an active participant in that dynamic versus using the horse to give that person an experience, Right. right? So I was working at a residential treatment center and we had horses there on the property that the clients were taking care of. And then once a week, they would have an equine assisted therapy session. And the interesting thing about that was, so you're creating this environment where the human is supposed to learn about themselves from the reflection the horse is giving them. But what I started observing over time is that the horse's would develop, again, these stereotypical behaviors or survival strategies of coping with being exposed to people who had no or very little horse experience Mm -hmm. uh, over and over again, who often didn't want to be there, who were not there for the horse's sake, but because they were there for treatment. Mm -hmm. And so... We had one horse who every time we would start grooming, he would turn around and try and nip people and be like, please don't touch me, Mm. Uh, leave me alone. And at some point I was like, I can't continue to try and make up a story for this client as to why this horse is doing that and what that means about them, because it wasn't about that. It was about being touched, period, or being put in that position, period. And so, right. It's not about the person. I've had plenty of examples of this is what will tend to happen in those settings is that the story will come out about, well, this horse is nipping you, right? Because there's something going on inside of you. You don't trust yourself or you're afraid right now. And to what you're saying, that horse was just fed up (laughs) with being used in that way and having his boundaries crossed, as we talked about in the last episode, not listened to. And so have to be really careful in those settings, it's the snake oil salesman, honestly. Mm. That's how I relate to that. Or the illusionist who's just trying to to weave a story 
to give an experience for that client to create some kind of magical experience or connection with the horse that's not actually happening. Yeah. And to be honest, that is why I ended up leaving that job. In the beginning, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is such a different way of working with horses. And where I did my training, you know, every morning we would show up and our teacher would just open the gate and the horses would come in and she would frame it as the horses that want to work with us are going to come in at Liberty. But after having some more information and thinking back about that experience, those horses were out in a massive field 24 seven and the arena was a soft sandy place to sleep And so often what would end up happening in the morning is that the horses would come in and they would lay down for a morning nap. Mm -hmm. And then we would come in and be like, okay, we're going to work with these horses because they decided to show up here, but actually they were tired. It was just nap time. (laughs) And yeah. And so there was a lot of parts of it where we joined them in their energy and we used what was showing up um, to learn from that. But then there were parts of it that were active. So having to lead the horse through an obstacle course or doing round pin sessions. And that's where it started getting really tricky, where certain people treat the horses really badly. And the facilitator let that happen to almost make a point. But it was at the horse's expense. Right. So and I remember the person having an experience versus actual authentic connection happening. Yeah. And I remember being really shook up by that and being like, this is not okay. And this is not congruent with all of the things that we've been talking about. Right. And those kind of moments started showing up more and more for me. And so I think making the transition of only working with people and their own horses, at least for me, is a congruent way of supporting Mm -hmm. people in their self-development because I have the horse's best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in being with horses, the self-development piece comes through becoming the person that our horses need us to become. And there's this understanding that the horse that is in our lives, we chose that horse for a reason. And that horse has lessons that they hold for us that are specific to our dynamic, just like the people that we choose to be in relationship with, right? There's a lot of information in there. Yeah. And so that for me right now is the way that I feel like I can Mm -hmm. offer that to people. And maybe you want to share a little bit about what that looks like on your end too. In my case, I was trained in a specific modality called equine guided empowerment. And so I do sessions here at the ranch with my herd, you know, where people come and have sessions or I host retreats here. And so we are working with the horses and it's not just people with their own horses, but I'm really glad I started with equine guided empowerment and came into it through that lens, because I feel like some of the other systems out there, like what you were mentioning, where it's like, we're going to lead the horse through an obstacle course, or we're going to round pen the horse, right? That wasn't part of my training. Mm -hmm. So it was much more about meeting the horse in their world, getting onto horse time uh, to have a healing experience or to have an experience of coming back into your body and coming home to yourself. 
And I also want to acknowledge that at the beginning, I was like, more has to happen, right? And this was my own stuff. I need to make sure that my clients have some kind of magical experience with my Mm, horses. So I tried some of those exercises. We did it once at my very first retreat where we're going to lead a horse as a group through this obstacle course. And whenever the horse doesn't want to do something, it's like, okay, well, what is this mirroring and what's coming up in the group? And the feeling afterwards was so icky. I never did it again. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And he was not happy. He was not happy with me afterwards, Paris, which was. Yeah. The so I just want to acknowledge that I've been there. And like you're saying, you've been there and you know what it feels like. So now it is a lot more for me about educating the folks that come here for sessions or retreats about horses and about how they interact with one another and really inviting them to step into their world. And it feels very in integrity for me because I don't feel like our horses are ever being used for the betterment of someone else or for the self-development of someone else at their expense. And what's really beautiful and that's honestly been happening from the very beginning is that the horses do choose the people that they end up working with or connecting with. Mm -hmm. I give a lot of time for people to be out in the pasture with the horses and there's always a connection that is made (laughs) in time that is authentic and feels very soul level. Like we have some work here to do together. That's what it feels like the horse is inviting that person into and yeah, it's, it's been absolutely magical in the true sense of that word. <laughs> yeah. And just to clarify what's different, the way that you do it is that your horses are at liberty yes. in the environment that they live in 24 mm-hmm. seven. And so the people are coming into their environment um, and they can leave whenever they want to. Right. People are taught, this is how you set a boundary. If right. We you do know. space claiming, like we talked about in the last episode. But there's no halters or structured activity. Like, they have a lot more agency. Yes. In they that. Have, they have full agency. And I set it up so that the whole herd is together. If we do come into the corral at any point if during the retreats, everybody's together. We're really following their rhythms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and prioritizing those needs that they have and if there are signs of stress then I'm gonna do something about that right and you do like one or two retreats a year too it's not like (laughs) every day where I was working we were doing programs every week every week and then sometimes on the weekends and so the horses were being used yeah all the time I can't imagine that yeah it was a lot Yeah, because, I mean, just like for a therapist, uh, there's a lot of self-care that has to be done, especially if you're working with people with deep trauma. Yeah, and I think we underestimate that, how that affects the horses on the other side of that, like where people come in and they're just, you know, at no fault of their own, but they are very disconnected and they aren't grounded and they're coming with a lot of stories and we're exposing horses to that and saying okay well because they live in the moment they can metabolize that 
but right. I, I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, that's not the case. And that does leave scars. And some of those horses are just as shut down as horses who have been used traditionally in other ways where they don't have agency. Yeah. And interestingly enough, a lot of horses who are rescue horses end up in this career, right? But that's not healing for them. It's still healing for people, Yeah. but it doesn't have their best interest in mind. And just because we're not riding them doesn't mean that they're not impacted by that work and that we have to be really mindful of how we offer these experiences to people. Because I do believe that people who can't afford to have their own horse should be able to somehow interact with horses, right? But I think there's a way that we can do that that's mutually supportive or at least isn't doing any harm. And I know that Cassandra, who you and I both studied with, we in different versions have been on that journey of trying to figure out how can we do that and what can that look like? And each of us has a different (laughs) way of manifesting that. But I love that that movement is going in that direction and that Mm -hmm. we're really thinking about the horses now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that it's okay for it to be an experiment. And if you are doing this work with your horses to just have that intention and allow yourself to navigate, all right, how can I do this in a way that feels in integrity? Yeah. Um, like, and the yeah. horse, they're going to let you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Coming back, coming back to our back theme. To our theme. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They, they will let you know. Absolutely. Just like Paris did when I tried to do the obstacle course exercise. That was a clear no. And it was also a clear no because it didn't make the women feel good either. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I think we can feel that, you know, and if we're honest in that moment, I think that can offer a lot more insight and yeah, healing than trying to make up a story about why something is happening. Right. right? Yeah. Which is so easy to do. Right. But I mean, it just feels so out of alignment. (laughs) Yeah. But I think as facilitators, that is our responsibility is to look at, okay, what is the horse saying? How is the human responding? What is the interaction? And if we're doing this work with our horses, it is our job to have our horse's best interest in mind. Yeah. And it means allowing them to set boundaries and and translating that. Uh, That really is the feedback that matters. Yeah. And I think to what we've talked about before, if you are the client in that situation and something's happening with the horse like it's biting you, but you're being told that, oh, that means there's something the horse is trying to get off you, which I've heard before. (laughs) There's energetically something the horse is trying to get off of you. I just recently heard that story from someone and you have that gut feeling of, no, this doesn't feel okay. Listen to that. Or no, this story that I'm being told feels a bit wonky. Yeah. Trusting our intuition. Yeah. Right. And, and believing that we have the power to question those things. But transitioning a little bit, because yeah. I think we wanted to share how this concept mm. has shown up in our own lives with our yeah. own horses yeah. and what the horses that we both have chosen mm-hmm. <laughs> have taught us about ourselves and yeah. how we stand in the world, who we are in relationship. Okay. 
Yeah. And this is a big part of the being with horses philosophy is that I think it's really a core of the philosophy is self-development alongside our horses. So it's the idea of growing to meet our horses rather than tamping their spirit down to meet us at our level or whatever we're ready for. Yeah. Um, and that's the difference in this approach. Developing for our horses. Right. And in turn for ourselves. Right. right. But that's not right. the primary it's a result of the work or yeah, it's a result of living <laughs> in this way. Yeah. They're the horses are yeah. the catalyst. Yeah. They are because we love them <laughs> and we want to grow for them just like in any relationship. So are you? Yeah. I wanted to, <laughs> I want to start with my four-year-old mare, Aria, who I shared soldier's origin story on the podcast, but I just wanted to share more about her because very soon after we got soldier, my father-in-law had said, you know, it'd be really fun for us to get some young horses and start them ourselves. And none of us had ever been through the process. So it was me, my husband, my father-in-law all wanted to get some young horses. And, and so we did that. And I guess what I want to share about that is <clears throat> looking back hindsight 2020 I didn't really know as much as I know now and how they were weaned for that sale is a bit unfortunate it was when they were super young so about like five or six months old mm. and just taken away from their moms all at once and so when these three young horses that we got came here one of whom was Aria they were like baby deer. Um, they had not been touched really at all by humans and handled. And so it really was starting from scratch and building that trust. But I was not at the sale. My husband and my father-in-law went. I was actually at my equine guided empowerment training mm -hmm. in California. And so I said to Jeff, I had just gone through the book and circled you know, some Rones and Palominos, <laughs> because that's what I was interested in. But I just said, okay, I trust you to, to choose. And I knew I wanted a mare. So mm -hmm. uh, the way it had worked on this ranch for many, many years was it was just geldings, no mares. Mares are trouble. I think mm. there had been mares back in the day, but not for quite a while. Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they get that rep. That's, that's a very common thing. Marish is even a term. Yes. Bitchy. Exactly. And you know, it's interesting to think about because mares aren't fixed. So they have all their hormones, which geldings don't. So, you know, that's something to think about because we're really getting them more in their raw state, but it's of course a parallel for just, you know, misogyny. Exactly. What we get is women. Because, you know, we're on the moon cycle. We have our phases. We are complex. <laughs> and yeah, we, we're emotional. We have yeah, emotions. Absolutely. And mirrors are very much like that. I wanted that. I wanted to have that experience of a horse because I'd really only ever been around geldings. And I wanted a fiery mare. Right. So this is the first part of the mirror. <laughs> and boy, did you get one. Yes. So Jeff chose this beautiful little Bay Roan, who it's funny because when you look at her photo in the catalog, part of her leg is ripped open because she wounded it on something. And I'm not surprised she was getting herself into things from a young age. 
I actually didn't realize that Jeff was the one who ultimately made that choice. Like, I find yeah. that really interesting. Yep, yep. I wasn't there, so I was like, I trust you. <laughs> yeah, he got you what you needed. He got me exactly what I was wanting. Yeah. Um, and the day that I met her was the day I left for the clinic with Sabina. Because we came back from Oh, them. wow. We left the next day. So I literally only saw her for a second, and then we got on the road with Soldier. But just her spirit, I could just feel it. And so I decided to name her Aria from the moment I saw her because I could feel that warrior princess energy. So I'm a Game of Thrones fan. Mm-hmm. And so she's named for Aria in Game of Thrones, for those of you who know the show. And that should let you know everything about Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my whole journey with my business, Embodying Wild, has been about bringing through that wild woman in myself and reconnecting with that, which is the part of me that is unapologetic and boldly myself, right? But that's only part of it. And that's what I want to get into with her because I do think, yes, that's a part of myself that I'm reclaiming. But I think part of the issue that I've run into with Aria, even though that is her archetype, she is totally the warrior princess. There is so much more to her beyond that. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked about this and part of Where I can get stuck is the attachment to that identity that I have painted her into, Mm. right? And, but I'll come back to that. But yeah, so I, I got this fiery mirror who I could feel that was in her spirit from the very beginning. And it was so funny because she's this little foal and I was afraid of her. (laughs) And part of that is because they hadn't really been touched and you know even young foals can still give you powerful kicks and bites and all that certain certain young foals yes certain certain personalities (laughs) and tendencies correct yes yeah and that's her and there was an unpredictability in her energy too one minute you know we'd be just chilling together and then all of a sudden she'd be jumping on top of me or something like that yeah well and that's how you know too that you know we talk a lot about horse personalities and getting to know your horse personality and that's one way if you have the privilege of getting to know your horse when they're babies that's a very clear way to recognize this is this horse's character right this is not something that has been trained into her these are not survival strategies this is who this horse came into this world as yes 100 percent. and that's that's something i wanted to touch on today too because they all do have their unique personalities and especially watching them in the herd is a really great way to be able to see that come mm-hmm. through. Cause oftentimes with people, horses can't really express that or have shut that down. But yeah, these three young horses that we got all had three very different personalities and it was just really fascinating to observe that. And she was the little leader of that group, but getting back to the mirror with Arya That fear is something that I'm still constantly confronted with when I'm with her now that she's four years old and she's really grown into this just beautiful, strong, confident. She's always been confident. And I think that's been the through line. And so one of the big themes in our relationship is she's always holding up a mirror to my own Mm self-confidence and my self-worth. And my ability to be my own fiery mare, I guess. Yeah. Right? My own lead mare to what we've talked about, which is my right to claim my space. And 
you know, one thing that's so funny that she'll do is if I go out there and I'm being a little tentative around her and trying to fawn over her, she will bite me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Oi, come back into your body. Exactly. You? She's like, you are not valuing yourself right now. You are catering to me. You are trying to mesh with me and I am not having it. <laughs> yes. That's a super clear boundary. And so that's how she communicates. And I think at first that was really upsetting to me, honestly. Mm. And it would be like, my horse hates me. She's such a bitch, you know, all that. Why can't I just have my husband's horse shadow? It's just the sweetest, softest, most chill dude. Golden um, retriever of horses. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> right. But to that idea idea of this fire inside of me and this boldness and this fierceness that I have really been on a mission to reclaim in myself. She has been my greatest teacher. She's not going to let me devalue myself. Yeah. She's let me shrink and be smaller in any way when I'm around her. Yeah. So I would say that's our biggest theme that we're constantly working through. And I think circling back to this idea of not pigeonholing her mm-hmm. into this role of the warrior princess all the time. What I have had to navigate through that is this desire to fight fire with fire. And when she gets what I perceive to be as sassy with me, right? When she's starting to be pushy, that I need to discipline her. And this is touching on what we talked about in the last episode, that I need to put her in her place, so to speak, and one up her when that behavior is coming through to show her that I'm worthy. But what happens when I do that is it usually backfires. And I did a Aikido workshop with Mark Rashid, who's a horse trainer a year ago. And I always come back to the way that he described it, which is softness with structure, which is how it's described in Aikido, where if you brace against somebody grabbing your arm, for example, Mm -hmm. that creates more for them to grab onto. And it's harder for you to defend yourself from that place. Whereas if you soften, that softening creates a softness in the other person. And then there's an opening. And there's also more creativity that comes through in that moment of, oh, well, let me try this. Let me try that. Instead of, you're not going to get away with that. I'm going to show you, right? That Yeah. Where you get a choice in how you want to respond versus the knee-jerk defense. Right. Yeah. And so she's been an incredible teacher in that way of how to meet resistance with softness and how enticing it is to meet it with force yeah but how that backfires and I love her because she's not submissive in the sense that if I meet her with force she's going to shy away she's just going to get 10 times stronger (laughs) which she is exactly that's the reality something that what you're sharing makes me think about and we've talked about this is she's teaching you really how to embody both of those parts of you And one of them is maybe one that you're less familiar with Mm -hmm. or that you've maybe pushed to the side and disowned a little bit. And she's helping you rediscover that, but in a way that's true to you, not in a way that people are telling you or you think you should be doing it. 
but that's really what matters yes the energetics of it matter but really the energetics of that is authenticity if you're setting that boundary in the way you think you're supposed to rather than in the way that really feels true for you she's not going to hear you right and she's been really clear about that but when you know I know where I'm going or I really don't want this then it's not an issue yep yep absolutely and I think another big thing that's come through in our relationship and it comes in a soldier as well but particularly with her because when we first started really doing being with horses there was a lot of play and we go down to the arena and she'd have so much energy and she'd rear and it was just so fun mm-hmm. to go and play with her but then I started to get attached to that mm-hmm. and when it wouldn't happen, I would think, well, we didn't have a good session. That's how I'd walk away from that experience. Or why can't I get her to do this? Or I go in there with the expectation of I need to get this level of energy from her. And this is what our session needs to look like. Yes. Um, The trap. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was so fun to play with her in that way. But I also think there was an ego level to that. You know, I put that on my Instagram and look how cool it looks. (laughs) Yeah. But originally, how did you get there? The play? Yeah. Well, originally how we got there was me starting to be able to really claim my space with her. And so that's a great question because when I first started lunging with her, she loved it. And I was, again, freaked out by how big her energy would get, right? Mm -hmm. She'd rear and she'd run around and she'd buck. And I remember Jeff, my husband, watching and being like, are you sure that you want her to be doing that? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Am I teaching her how to, you know, go crazy? And so I had to face my fear to move with that energy of hers. And Mm -hmm. and that took time. And it wasn't something that I just automatically felt comfortable with. Um, Yeah. but, But having my rope or my whip and being able to claim my space and getting really clear on my bubble allowed me to be like, oh, I can keep myself safe. So this is great, you know? Yeah, you can allow for that. Or it's almost like you're building your capacity to withstand it, right? And maybe that's exactly where she's teaching you how to tap into your own power. Yeah, absolutely. Where that sits in you. Yeah, there's that reflection of, oh, here's a whole bunch of power and energy, and I'm afraid of that. That's my initial reaction. Yeah. But what was under that fear was I can't protect myself from that energy. I think that's so interesting because I feel like us as women are truly taught to be afraid of our own power. Absolutely. It's uncomfortable to take up space. It's uncomfortable to use our voice. It's uncomfortable to set that boundary. And our horses are reflecting that. They are inherently so powerful but we're constraining all of that and making them really small yeah. and forcing them to erase that Absolutely. because we're afraid of it. Yep. And in turn, we don't have access to our own power or our own resources. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. And something that came up for me and that comes up for a lot of the women I work with who come out here to do sessions with the horses is when they have to claim their space or walk at someone else and claim a space that's where they're standing or behind them they're so afraid to hurt that person Mm -hmm. 
so afraid to hurt someone else. So it's like, if I tap into my power, this, this is the belief underlying that. If I tap into my power, I'm going to hurt someone. Yes. I'm going to hurt that person's feelings if I'm yeah. honest. Yeah. But then again, Aria did not give a crap if she hurt me. <laughs> no, I think the horses that are like this, where they are more confident and what we would call pushy yep. is they want to know how connected we are with that part of ourselves. Yeah. And are we in touch with our own power? Do we believe that we have a right to our own space? Do we believe that we're worthy of being heard? That's what horses like Aria are here to teach us, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why you chose her. <laughs> yeah. And we started riding and then we had what I like to call the incident. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where she bucked me off pretty good. And I'll get back to that. But what I wanted to say about the riding is the vision that I keep holding on to when my fear comes up, which is all the time. Mm -hmm. How are you ever going to be able to ride her at a gallop through the pasture? I mean, look at her. Look what she's capable of is the beauty of being able to partner with that kind of power. Yes. Right? And to fully allow myself to surrender to it and flow with it and become one with it rather than trying to hold it back. Mm -hmm. and, and so you have to grow. Exactly. I have to grow big time. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, I think the other thing too is she knows when you're trying and no one's asking you to become this heroine or be this amazing leader who isn't afraid and all of that. I think she knows when you're trying and she knows when you're true to yourself. Yep. And then that's when she gives herself to you. Yep. Right. And and there's this, oh, okay, now I can trust you. I think our horses, when they know that we're showing up for them in this different way, they do give us a bit of a bonus. And I think we can't take that for granted. And if we do, then it's like, oh, nope, like you lost it. Yeah. Right? And she bucked me off because the riding had become more about my needs versus her own. Yeah. I really think that's looking back and reflecting on how we got to that point. Because so often it happens this way with horses where we say, oh, that just came out of nowhere. Everything was fine. Oh, but that's boy. never how it happens. That gets me going. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a buildup, but it's how attuned are we to the subtle cues that we're getting before that actual blow up happens. Yes. And I think I'd gotten to this point where I was going in there with, again, this expectation of we're going to ride and that's what I want to do. And, and, you know, I think this point that you made about horses giving us a gift when they know we're trying is such an important one. And I think it's so true. They really do. They can feel that we're showing up, we're moving through our fears and we're doing it for them because we love them and we're doing mm -hmm. it for the sake of the relationship. And they do feel that and they give that gift. And I think that was how our riding journey started out. And it was so beautiful. Yeah. And just watching back the videos of it, you can see it. She's totally giving it as a gift, but also because she's enjoying it, right? Because it is so yeah. And it just then got to this place of the expectation of it and... Pressure. Yeah, pressure and wanting us to be further along than we were, what she was actually ready for. And, yes. you know, in, then what we were ready for. And so she reminded me of her no and her power in a very intense way. <laughs> yeah. 
that rocked me to my core, honestly. And we've been in a phase now of repairing the relationship from that moment, which more is about me because honestly, she's okay. She's, she's one of those horses that she made her point. Yeah, exactly. She's not holding on to it. Yeah. And so now it's more about the fear that I have from that experience that I am having to meet in myself and and the trust, I guess. Yeah. And I think there's a reality too here though, which is horses are incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. and they will always be more powerful than we are. Right. And so I think that's also an important reality to continue being aware of and not take for granted what our horses let us do with them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think often we do. And a lot of the tools and the techniques that we traditionally use in the horse world are to negate this fact that horses are more powerful than us. And it goes back to this idea of needing to dominate. And you could probably actually, let me rephrase that. I was going to say, you could probably get there with Aria by doing that, but it would be a fight. But now I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if she would let you do that. Honestly, I think she would be a horse that would say at some point, at some point, yeah, this is not going to happen. And she would be that horse. That's the problem horse, the difficult horse. And, and then it's like, okay, how do we solve this problem? But really we are the problem. And the problem is that we expect these things and that we take these things for granted. And really what we're, I feel like all searching for is that feeling when the horse gives it to us but with the approaches that we have we can't get there because Mm -hmm. we're overriding them all the time and we're not listening and we're not actually working on ourselves but in working with you two in the beginning and this reflects I think many of our journeys in starting to live with our horses based on this philosophy is in the beginning you start off and you're open and curious and in beginner's mind and You are in horse time and you're letting things develop and you don't really have a plan. And that's where the horse has the space to really show up and to be part of the conversation. And then we fall back into those old patterns of now I want this to look like this all the time. And if it's not, it's not good enough. Or it means that something's wrong in our relationship. And then we're back in the old stuff and we've turned something that Mm -hmm. is an exploration into a recipe. And that's where we get lost and we get disconnected. And even that is part of the learning. Yeah. I mean, it's making me think about how, when I really zoom out on the, the spiritual soul level with her and what she's showing me and teaching me is it really is this idea of flow versus force Mm -hmm. in how we live And the force of the universe and the force of nature is so vast and powerful. Yeah. We really consider it. And we think we can somehow not be a part of that. Right. But we have it within ourselves. We are subject to it. We see that every time there's a hurricane or fires or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was just making me think about how the Yellowstone River, when it flooded last year here, about this time of year just watching it. And it was like, forget your bridges, forget your infrastructure. I'm tearing it all down. You know, it's this interesting dichotomy. We all have that power and that wildness within us, but 
we're also so scared of it. Yep. And that. And so we want to control. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like you're speaking to the flow part for me, that feels like surrender. Mm -hmm. There's a surrender into the flow of things and that whatever is meant to happen is going to happen in this moment. Yeah. And there's a trust in that. There's a trust in our relationship. There's a trust in myself that I'm going to be able to handle it or know how to navigate it and that I'm going to know how to respond or what to do. But it always comes back to being present, right? Mm -hmm. At the base level of it, in order to be able to be in flow, we need to be present yeah, and not in our heads and not in our expectations. Yeah. Yeah. It's that simple. And yet it's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Well, because we're, we're trained out of it our entire lives. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that, that kind of is a bridge to what I wanted to talk about with Frankie. Yes. Because that rings really, really true for me. If I think back to myself as a kid, I was present and tuned into my emotions and what I needed. And then over time, that was trained out of me. And you said something a couple episodes ago of like, unlearning how to be a show horse or Mm. a performance horse. And I think that has felt the most true for me when it comes to this whole journey. And I think that's why I got the horse that I got. I got a horse who has a similar history. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been a lot of that unlearning. And Frankie is conservative in the sense that he uses his energy in a very clear and reserved, but very direct way. Yeah. And he's not the horse that's super energy. Like he can, right? If there's flow, but he's very thoughtful and he's Mm. very connected and sensitive to a sense that his tendency is to withdraw within. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I was very much like Aria when I was growing up, Mm. right? I was very fiery. I spoke my mind. I was very connected with my power. And then over time with, you know, school trauma and things that were happening in my family and values that were pushed on me, I lost that. But what I retained was this feeling of constantly being under pressure and Mm. constantly being entrapped in these expectations that were put on me. And I think having Frankie come into my life the way he did is super interesting because I kind of see my life as waves of decisions that I made for myself and then decisions that I made because I thought I had to, Mm -hmm. right? And so I had gone to college because I thought I couldn't have a career with horses and I didn't want to in the horse world as it was right so that is a choice that I made yeah but I went to college because I thought I didn't have any other options and that's the first time that I got really sick I was diagnosed with Graves disease my freshman year of college which is early (laughs) and it's in my family so there's also this intergenerational nature to this path and it's all the women in my family on my mom's side Mm -hmm. So there's this pressure that's passed down through generations of this is how we have to live. 
we have to function to this extent. These are the expectations. And at some point we crumble, we mm -hmm. fall apart and we burn out. We can't do it. And so I saw my mom go through that arc. And then I went to college and I was like, I need to write straight A's. I need to function in all these ways in something that I'm not even sure I want to be here. Right. But I thought I had to. And so it made me really sick and I had to slow down and really think about what do I want to do? And I returned to college and I went to a college that allowed me to write my own major and I studied eco-psychology and equine guided education therapy. And I feel like that speaks so much to this experience that I have of always trying to preserve myself and what feels true for me within the system that mm -hmm. I'm living in, mm -hmm. right? And under the constraints that either have realistically been placed on myself or that I have internalized and I'm placing on myself. And it's just so interesting because when I turn 18, it's this moment of no one can tell me what to do anymore, but I'm still living in this way that's very much dominated by this internalized conditioning of oh, yeah. what I need to do and who I need to be. 18, by 30. <laughs> yeah, well, and now, right. and I'll get to that. Now I'm back in the same fucking position. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the interesting timing of it being, you know, I finished grad school and I was in remission. And then we moved to Seattle and it came back. Mm. And I later, with reflection, realizing that, again, I had made a decision because I thought I had to. Mm -hmm. And not because that was a conscious decision that I made for myself. And so my body has always been very sensitive and has responded to how I'm living my life, right? And Frankie came into my life when I pretty much had given up on the idea that I was going to have a horse of my own. That was never something my parents could afford. We moved a lot. There wasn't a lot of stability in my life. And every single horse that I've had that could have become my own just never worked out. Mm. And I was in the back country <laughs> mule packing with Chris Ayers. And that was something that, again, I was trying to find my way back to this part of myself that was wild and that was strong and that was not sick. Right. And that wasn't held small by this mm. system and this is the magic, right? So we went to these hot springs in Idaho and I was laying in the hot spring. I was looking up and I had this moment of just being like, wow, I'm here right now. And I made this happen for myself. And I was so scared that I was too sick to do it, that I, you know, I wasn't strong enough. And I had this moment of realizing I, I did this and I made this choice and now I'm here in this place that I want to be in. And I look up and there's a cloud in the shape of a horse. I kid you not. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what that means. And I remember writing in my journal about it. And then on that trip, Frankie's old owner messaged me and said, hey, I've been trying to place him with all these families. Nothing's working out. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. I have thoughts. And it had never worked out in the past. My parents were always like, this is something you need to realize for yourself. We can't help you with this. And mm. I brought it up and I asked them on that trip, 
and somehow everything fell into place. I still to this day cannot understand how this even happened, right? But so before our our journey even started in living this philosophy, the way he came into my life was in surrender. I was in surrender. And I was like, mm-hmm. if this is meant to happen for me, it's going to happen. Right. And that was so uncharacteristic for me because I'd never given myself time to slow down. I'd never thought that I could live my life on my terms or that I could find people who were my people who shared this common interest. To this day, I still have this part of me that feels a little bit embarrassed that I'm a horse girl or a horse woman at this point. I'm freaking turning 30, but it was this magical beginning. And then came this whole unlearning and unconditioning. And, you know, I had moments with Frankie where he also very much reminded me, I am more powerful than you. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be with me and interact with me in a way that isn't based on dominance and force, you're going to have to do it in a way where you're listening to me. And so we were talking a couple of weeks ago about rope burns. I got (laughs) a ton of rope burns. And I talked about this a little bit in the first episode where if there was a slightest inkling of me, again, same like with you, pushing us into situations, even just going for a walk. And I was like, oh, okay, it's being with horses. I can take Frankie for a walk. But I was doing it because I thought that's how it was supposed to look like. And I wasn't doing it because we were connected. And so, you know, he would freak out on the trail. He didn't trust me at all. And he would just take off and run back to the barn. <laughs> I'm just picturing the people at the barn who are watching the horse come charging home. Yeah, I mean, it was the most out. embarrassing thing. I had to call the owner and be like, hey, Frankie's coming. He ran away from me. And I'm doing this in this environment where people are like, well, why don't you just slap a chain on him? And that being said, that barn was probably the only barn that that is a traditional dressage barn where I found acceptance Mm -hmm. to the extent that I did. Right. And Garen gave me that horse because she knew that I was working with horses differently and she wanted her horse that she bred to be cared for and to have a life where he gets to be loved for who he is and not for, not for how he can perform. Yeah. And that is exactly what I have been allowed to learn through living with him is that in so many little ways, I'm always feeling like I have to show up and perform in order Mm -hmm. to be loved. And that's, I mean, it makes me emotional because it's just, and I've pushed myself because of that to the extent that, you know, it it makes me sick. Right. (laughs) And I think his calmness and his groundedness in those moments where I was trying to push us, you know, like we need to go for a walk. You're overweight. I need to do things with you because that's what we need to do. And I'm a bad horse owner if I don't, you know, offer you things. All of these beliefs, whenever they come up, he's just like the rock Mm -hmm. in the wave. You know, he's like, I am here And I'm going to wait until you find me again. (laughs) And it was this really calm, 
steady but also sad feeling he would get sad when he would lose me like that right Mm -hmm. he'd be like why are you doing this where are you going this is not us this is not you and I think because I learned to be so loud and strong and a lot of that came from anger of not having my boundaries heard or my needs respected you know I was waiting for him to give me an announcement but that's not who he is the more hectic and the more pressured and the more disconnected I get, the more he withdraws. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that was worse because then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I am a bad person. I am a bad horse owner. He doesn't like me and he's mm-hmm. sad when I'm around. And so in all of these iterations, again and again, he would send me back there and be like, you have still not dealt with this. It's still here and it's affecting our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there were times where yeah. I wouldn't want to go to the barn because I was like, oh, he's just going to say no to me again. And I don't like that feeling. Totally. And then there always came a time where I just was like, you know what? This is how it is. And in the end of the day, I love him. He's my horse. And We are here together in this. And I basically stopped. I would just stop doing, stop doing, right? I would just sit (laughs) and I would wait until that feeling of Mm. pressure and unrest would truly leave my body. It's almost like I had to just ride it out. You know, I couldn't do it away no matter how much I did. It, it just made it worse. I love that. I couldn't do it away. That's a perfect way to say it. Yeah. And that's been the hardest lesson because, you know, I, and I'm sure many of us have been trained our entire lives to do yep. and that our worth lies in doing. And so now that I'm in this position where I'm sick again and it's happening again. And in the beginning, you know, I'm fighting it. And every time I go to the barn, I'm like, okay, I finally made it here. I felt strong enough to do this today. Now I need to offer him something and he would turn away. (laughs) Again, how many years in? And that's like peeling an onion, this spiral formation of continuing to come back to these growth edges again and again. And every time I get to heal a little bit more and every time we get a bit more connected. And every time I can accept him more for who he is, because I can accept myself and because he accepts me for who I am. Yeah. And there's so much freedom in that. And even now, so I think also with this philosophy, there is no okay, I've graduated. I'm an expert now. I'm still living this every day. And I'm still getting feedback from Frankie that I'm disconnected again, or I'm back in my old pattern. But it's like that poem by Portia Nelson, there's a hole in the sidewalk, right? And every time it happens, and every time I listen to his feedback, I can find my way out quicker, because I know that's my responsibility. It's not my fault that I was conditioned in this way that these things were drilled into me but it is my responsibility to free myself from that 
and yes. and Frankie is helping me with that and yes. that that in and of itself is such a big gift totally and he's exactly the right horse to help me with that because <laughs> he's he's your horse <laughs> well and also there's this saying in German it's quietness in in person he is a representation of that flow it's like a quiet strength I always thought that I had to be loud for people to hear me and for me to be successful and what I'm trying to learn now is how can I be in this grounded strength and in this really tuned in awareness of where are my limits where are my boundaries and literally I've been experiencing that now where when I go to the barn I'm accepting okay this is what I feel like I can do today And sometimes I just clean his stall and I turn him out and I sit with him for a bit and that's it. Sometimes, you know, I'll be walking. And even now when I'm walking, I'm noticing I race from place to place. Mm. Like people used to always tell me, you're walking so fast. And I'm like, what? No, I'm just an energetic person. There's just always somewhere to get to, right? Yeah. And I would feel it on walks, you know, and it goes back to that. Like when I could feel him slowing down and questioning me. I would try and override it by going faster. So I would ask him to trot or be like, no, 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 come on. We can do this. It's okay. We can do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not there anymore. So now when we go, I'm really tuned into myself and I'm actually paying attention to every step. What does this step feel like? And I'm connected with him. And in those moments, we just go together and Mm -hmm. it feels so incredibly connected. And even within you know, one 15 minute walk, I will still fall into the pattern of starting to walk faster. And then I get in my head and I start thinking about other things and I get disconnected and then he'll try to eat some grass or he'll slow down and I'm invited back into the present and I'm invited Mm -hmm. back into slowing down and connecting and being like, oh yeah, sorry, I lost you there. Right. Right but I'm here again. And so it's all these little moments over time. Yep. And that's the practice, right? But yep. I think it's so healing. And for me, yeah, it took me seven years. <laughs> and it took me getting really sick to really learn that lesson. And it took me many times of standing in the arena with Frankie and looking at him and him reflecting back to me how incredibly stuck I was in this conditioning (laughs) yep right and he would just stand in the corner and look at me with this sad expression and even that you know I just had to be like yeah you know what it is fucking sad it is fucking sad that I lost my ability to be in my body that I lost my ability to be connected with myself and in exactly that moment where I would reconnect with myself (laughs) based on his feedback he would come over right Mm -hmm. and he would put his muzzle on my face and he would breathe into me and just be like oh yeah here you are so good to see you and that is just so connected and I've honestly probably never felt more loved than Mm -hmm. in that moment 
Well, it's so unconditional from them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the only way they know how to love. Yeah. And it's how we know how to love. Yeah. Too, right? But we're so in our heads about it. And there's so much noise. Well, and to everything you just described, it's a meditative practice. And that is what happens when we do meditation practices like Vipassana. The end goal is not to eventually always be present. I mean, there is that idea of the Buddha attaining enlightenment. And that's really what that idea is, is that endless presence. But the teachings really say that we're never going to attain that while we're humans. No. Completely. And so it is this being willing to disconnect and connect and disconnect and connect. And that is the journey. And so not judging that and just knowing that is how it works and it's okay. Yeah. And the practice is to come back into the present moment over and over and over again. Exactly. The journey is the goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's the moment, the present moment. (laughs) not about get being somewhere else it's about being here and now and so horses they just give us that feedback rather than sitting on a cushion you know and doing it which yeah. is also a beautiful practice and powerful too it's having that direct feedback from nature yeah real time well and at least for me it reminds me like I am part of nature mm-hmm. and I think there's so many little invitations I've received throughout my journey in being with horses, but also in in learning about humanity, right? And what it means to be human. And Mary Oliver's poem, you just have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Like these little reminders and that within the system, actually the most revolutionary thing to do is to be connected and to care about things and to be emotional and to not allow your humanity and your animal body to be erased. That's what's making us sick, truly. And it's not sustainable. And so I think it's potent on so many levels. That being too emotional part because I didn't really mention soldier today but one of the things I was going to share about him in terms of how he's shown up for me as a teacher and a mirror is that was something I got a lot at the beginning with him faced with this horse with all this trauma and fear and then being told that I had to just push him through that in order mm. to the other side and that I was being too soft on him. I was being too emotional. I was coddling him. I got that from a lot of people. Yeah. And of course, in my heart, that just didn't feel true at all. And I have pushed through that. There have been times where out of my own frustration of how slow the process would be moving with him, I would go out to catch him in the pasture and he'd be running away from me. And I would just chase him around because I was so fed up mm-hmm. with not being able to catch him. But it always felt awful after doing that. Yeah. No, it was so clearly not the way to what we were talking about before with that flow versus force. So, yeah, I think that's the conditioning. And I think our horses have a right to let us know that that's not working. And I think both of our stories share 
today is that it's also not working for us. No. I have this bristling feeling against things like problem solving workshops and stuff like that, because we think the horse is the problem, but really our system is the problem and we are suffering just as much, you know, and we each have this individual journey and this individual experience within that. But I think if we can allow the horses that are in our lives to invite us into that reflection and invite us to come back to ourselves really is a big piece of that. And I think one thing I want to add, which I didn't share, and it reflects how hard this still is for me that I didn't share this is, you know, how you were sharing, how Aria is inviting you to own parts of yourself that, yeah, you've maybe gotten disconnected from. Frankie also has this part of him that is really funny, right? Like he'll just do really funny things. And he likes people who are lighthearted with him. And like when Noah comes out to the barn with me and they're hanging out, it's like boy time and they have the best time together because (laughs) Noah doesn't have those expectations, but he also just is a really joyful person. Uh, And I think for me over time, part of this performance and the perfectionism and the functioning, I've become really serious Mm -hmm. and the joy has gotten sucked out of my life. And this reflects in the sense that I don't let myself rest or I don't give myself time for joy or play until I finish all of my chores. And now I've earned it. And the toxicity of that, that contributes to the fact that I've had burnout and I'm not making room for these needs that are so important. Uh, And whenever I get in that space of being too serious and I start worrying about Frankie or I start worrying about our relationship and I get into this, like, this is what being with horses should look like. It's really constricting. Even as I'm talking about it, I can feel my body getting really tense and yeah, the serious. It, yeah, and it elicits the same response in him where he gets really sad and, and he withdraws, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's letting me know this isn't fun and this mm-hmm. isn't who you are. And when I can let go and I can just do something without thinking about it too much or I can laugh about a quote unquote mistake or right. then it, it's, it's not a big deal. Right. But I'm making it a big deal before it even is a big deal by focusing on this very narrow idea I have of what I should look like and what I should be like. And it all comes back to me really getting to learn that I'm worthy in my humanity with all of the parts of myself. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in that space, Frankie's right there and he's so connected and he's dancing and expressing himself and yeah that's exactly the lesson I just had to learn this month with Aria Mm -hmm. post incident (laughs) yes I was taking myself and the whole situation so seriously and making it into this horrible thing that happened now everything is ruined and we've lost our connection it's never going to be the same that's where I was going yeah and then my sessions with her she started doing this thing, which you saw, which she'd never done before, where she looked worried and almost sad, like you're describing. Mm-hmm. And 
I'd never really seen that expression from her before. Um, and she was just hanging out at the gate and wanting to go back to the herd. Yeah. And, and then that made you worried, right? And yeah. And then I layered it on top of that being like, oh no, look what I've done. This is all my fault. And all it really took was this shift inside of myself. Like you're speaking to of the allowing for what happened and letting it be okay and not turning it into a mistake and just meeting her where we both were that day, which may mean yeah. that I go in there and be like, okay, I've got worry. I've got fear. And just being with that to slow down and then being like, Hey, you know, how you doing? Let's yeah. connect. And the shift is just so clear. She's like, Oh, hi. Yeah. Let's play. And it was that simple, you know? Yeah. It didn't have to be this big thing of repairing this broken. Yeah. It just, that was something I created in my head. Yeah. That really makes me think about to this trend that I'm seeing in the healing world in general, where, you know, as it's gaining in popularity and therapy is becoming more mainstream, we're seeing so much of that where we're taking ourselves so seriously. (laughs) It is important to face your shit and to I don't know, even that saying, do the work, that sounds to me like capitalism wrapped in a healing journey, you know, and I think this represents, you know, this spiral pattern, it is so ingrained in our system, and therefore in us, that saying of this is the water that we swim in. And if we're not careful, that capitalistic, perfectionistic, all of those patterns are going to infiltrate these spiritual healing practices that humans have yeah have felt drawn to for so long because I think we inherently know this is what I need to find myself and to find balance in my life right and this is healing but it's not healing if we make it work yeah if we make it work and if it becomes the serious thing that reflects our identity of like how healed am I that's perfectionism yeah it's just all over again exactly and and so I think we are uniquely privileged in having horses in our lives because they live in the moment they don't know any different and they live on this felt sense energetic level that represents what we're all trying to find our way back to and so the fact that we have access to their feedback yeah, it's just such a gift. I, um, I envision a future where everyone has a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or can connect with nature in general. But I think it's that act of slowing down, remembering your animal body, my animal, right? What are we outside of our achievements, our performance, our level of functioning? What's, what's our worth? <laughs> what's yeah. underneath that? It's interesting that you brought up that seriousness that you're awakening to in yourself and how that's not your true nature. Because that moment you described when you saw the cloud, it came right after this moment of appreciating yourself. Look where I am. This is so amazing. I manifested this for myself. Yeah. And that was the opening. And you're saying that same thing happens in your sessions with Frankie. 
Yeah. And of course, the conditioned part of me is like, oh my gosh, that's so selfish. I get to listen to myself. I get to do things for myself. I get to take care of myself. I right, get but to. Sounds like that's such a huge part of the soul lesson he's yeah. sharing in with you. Yeah. That is, of course, just a huge part of the being with horses philosophy because it is about giving horses back their autonomy, which is a reflection of us coming home to our own right to that within ourselves. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the, I can't love him truly if I can't love myself. Yeah. Right. I can't accept him truly if I can't accept myself and I'm going to criticize him and get upset with him if he doesn't function, as long as I believe that I have to function in order to be loved. That's just the plain and simple reality. Yep. Mic drop. (laughs) yeah I love this I think this is such an important conversation and I really I'm really curious how it lands with all of you and if you can find yourself in parts of our stories and I'd love to hear about it if you're willing to share yes what are if you have a horse what what are they reflecting to you what have been your big themes that have come up in your relationship so please reach out and share yeah Okay, and then next episode, we're going to be live Germany. from Germany. <laughs> we're going to go study with Sabina. We are going to the source. Well, this is my first time. So Carla has been to Germany. How many times have you been now? Oh my gosh, I can't remember. Since 2016, I think I've gone almost every year except for COVID. Wow. Okay. Um, so we've been many times to go and study with Sabina, who is the one who created the being with horses philosophy. Yeah. And so I went to that clinic in Seattle, like I mentioned in our first episode, and that's been my only in-person encounter with Sabina and getting to learn from her. And so Carl and I are going together. We'll be there for a whole week, getting to be part of one of the intensives that she hosts. And I'm just super excited. And it's mostly going to be in German. So Carla will be translating, (laughs) (laughs) which is going to be interesting. But when we get back, I know we'll have, as we integrate the experience, lots, lots to share about what we encounter. Yeah. Yay. I'm excited. It's going to be such an adventure. Cool. Auf Wiedersehen. (laughs) 